Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. It is good to be here worshiping God together here or wherever you happen to be. Indiana, Freeport, Petroleum Valley, jail. Some people are in jail watching this. We love you guys and gals too. My name is Mike. If you're a first-time guest, it's good. I'm glad you're here. I was going to say it's good to meet you, but I'm not meeting you. I'm up here, but I'm glad you're here and hope it's not your last time. Uh, We love guests here. Hopefully you got some coffee or some sort of uh, tasty treat on your way in. Now let's get to the Word of God. We are starting a new series, The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. And uh, we had that great bumper. I actually love that bumper now. It's my new favorite bumper. Because it'll teach you all Ten Commandments as the weeks. Just don't, don't miss the bumper every week. That way if you sleep during the sermon, you're still getting the Word of God into your heart. Because there they are. Boom, 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 boom. We'll have the ten memorized uh, by the time we're done. So, ten commandments, why are they such a big deal? There's a lot of commandments in the Bible. Uh, Moses came down the mountain in Exodus 20, and that is where uh, the ten commandments are, Exodus 20. He came down the mountain with tablets from God. There was a bunch of thunder on the mountain. All the people were frightened. They, didn't, they couldn't touch the mountain or they'd die and they were scared. But Moses went right into the fray and God talked to him. Now, we may be used to that story and not catch the timing of it in the overall picture of God and mankind. But this, when Moses brings the commandments down the mountain. This is the first time in the history of mankind that there is, that we know of, a written word of God. Now you say, well, that... We had all 50 chapters of uh, Genesis, certainly. Well, maybe Abraham jotted down some things, (laughs) but we don't know of that because who wrote Genesis? Moses. When did he write it? We're not exactly sure. He could, I mean, he had 40 years in the desert to write. (laughs) Um, So uh, this is the first time we know for sure that the written word of God came from heaven to mankind. And it didn't come to a prophet before God seemed to, he'd chat with Noah, or I mean Abraham, or who's the first guy? Adam and Eve, and he chat with, with their sons, and we know he chatted with Noah, and now I'm getting them in order, and Abraham and, and Jacob and Isaac and Joseph, I mixed up Jacob and Isaac. But he didn't have, he wasn't in the habit of talking to all his people, they had no scripture. So this is the first time. And, and so the Ten Commandments are the first words of the first scripture that we know of. For us, the first words of the first scripture are, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, because when Moses would put this history in line, he put this event where it goes chronologically. But for the people receiving them, this would be their first written scripture that we can be certain of. And so the Ten Commandments are very important. They're very important Throughout uh, history, they, they are the basis of Western civilization's law um, and, and are obviously important. But Andy Stanley, I don't know how many of you know who he is. He's a pastor of, I think, the largest church in America and um, son of, of the great Charles Stanley. And he's re- recently got himself in trouble, and I think for good reason, because he said that the Ten Commandments don't actually apply to us Christians. That they don't actually apply to us. He says, Jesus just gave one command, love one another as you should be loved. 
And that encompasses all of the law. And therefore, Christians are not under the law. So the Ten Commandments are law. And we're only under love one another. Therefore, the Ten Commandments do not apply to us, he says. Well, if I had said that, it wouldn't be that important. Because I'm not that big of a deal. But if Andy Stanley says it, Christians around the country and even the world have to deal with this question. So, though he will never know that I'm talking about him, let me take on Andy Stanley today. It is true that the Bible says there is one command that sums up the Ten Commandments. He's right. In fact, in Romans 13, verses 8 to 10, Paul says the same thing. Look what Paul says. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. And then, here, here, watch him. He goes to the Ten Commandments. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. So, what Paul is saying is if we obey Jesus' command to love one another, we have, are fulfilling the Ten Commandments on an ongoing basis. And this is what Stanley's pointing to. <laughs> he says, look, we don't, we, Ten Commandments don't apply. Well, that's the way he reads it. Here's how I read it. Paul does not say that the Ten Commandments no longer apply. He's just saying they can easily be summarized. He's saying they all could be summarized and love one another. Which is very profound. I mean, we should pay attention to that. And if this were a sermon on Romans 13, which I would really enjoy, we would sit on that a long time and think about it. But for now, I just want us to note that Romans 13, verses 8 to 10, implies that the Ten Commandments remain in full force in the Christian life. How you could have a great dad like Charles Stanley and then, then not be able to read the simplest thing in the Bible, I don't know. <laughs> the, the, it's, it's just the opposite conclusion. The, Paul is is saying the Ten Commandments are important because they are what you're going to obey if you're going to love. Okay, so we only have two fill-ins for our um, uh, map today. So I hope you'll fill them in. First one is this. Paul indicates that the Christian is compelled to obey the Ten Commandments in order to fulfill the law of love. Obeying the command to love one another should result in an ongoing carefulness about obeying the Ten Commandments. <laughs> you should be more careful as a Christian to not covet, to not speak ill of a neighbor. Now someone said, well, you're speaking ill of Andy Stanley. I get this sometimes. But some take people, I'm not speaking ill of anybody. Bible teaching, it needs to be fleshed out. And if someone's a public teacher, they're influencing us all. We need to interact with that. In fact, I love Andy Stanley. I've always liked him. I listen to his leadership podcasts. This sermon isn't really about Andy Stanley. It's my introduction to the Ten Commandments. He just made it easy for me by giving me something to play off of. Stanley makes at least two errors. 
and I want to show them to you. One, he confuses the use of the law in the life of the unredeemed and the use of the law in the life of the redeemed. Now, I know some of you take notes, so I'm going to say that again. He confuses the use of the law in the life of the unredeemed with the use of the law in the life of the redeemed. In other words, the law is usefulness for the saved and the unsaved. It's just used differently. The New Testament teaches us this. The law of God, and specifically the Ten Commandments, proves the guilt of the lost, leading them to Jesus. The New Testament tells us that the purpose of the law is to lead people to Jesus. And you say, well, how can that be? Well, I didn't make this up. God did, and it's in the Bible. God made the Ten Commandments not so you'd obey them and we'd have a happy world, la, la, la. God made the Ten Commandments so that you would realize you're lost and need a Savior. Now, this will take a little bit of explaining, and we're going to go to the chief explainer of the New Testament, Paul, again, and look at Galatians 3. Galatians 3, verse 23 to 26. If you are a note taker, you're going to love this sermon. (laughs) If you are not, you're going to maybe love the sermon and forget everything in it. So go make friends with a note taker so you can say, where was that verse again? Verse 23 of Galatians 3. Now, before faith came, in other words, before we got saved by believing, salvation comes by believing in Jesus, not by being a good religious boy or girl. But before that, we were held captive under the law. We as mankind were chained under the law. The law was causing us to be captives, imprisoned. That's even worse. Captive Bad enough, but maybe you you get to be outside. (laughs) Imprisoned sounds worse. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. We were imprisoned. All mankind was imprisoned under the law of God until the right moment when Jesus came. And that's where he goes here in verse 24. So then, the law was our guardian, as in legal guardian, as in the person who takes care of you if you're an orphan. He kept, he's not a nice guardian in the sense that he's got me locked up. But you'd think that, except for there could be a reason he had to duct tape me in the basement. <laughs> I could have been a rotten kid. And that, never duct tape your kids in the basement. <laughs> Ever. Like, you got to be careful what you say. People want to be offended. Don't, don't, don't. What I'm saying, though, is that this is given the image of a guardian who has a rotten kid who needs to be imprisoned. But not forever. Until Christ came. Why? In order that we might be justified by faith. This little brat, let's use me as the example of all mankind. (laughs) This little brat was not a good boy. (laughs) And the law kept him in prison till Jesus came and said, give me that kid. And what we're going to do is we're going to clean him up. And we're going to make him forgiven. And then he won't need to be locked up anymore. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So he says to the law, you don't have to care for him anymore. I got him. I got him. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So that's the image and the explanation from Paul. It is complex, but it's also 
It's complex if you think about all the details, but it's simple if you just look at it like he's saying it. The law held me captive because I was a bad kid. Jesus came and said, he's my son now. He's the son of God now because of me, and he believes in me. So law, you don't need to care for him anymore. So what that is is the gospel. Jesus came to the earth, and he was the only human being who, he was under law like us, but he wasn't captive because he wasn't a bad kid, right? He was perfect. He never broke the law. He, Jesus is the Son of God. And so when he became a man, he remained just as holy and good. So the law had no hold on him. But when he laid down his life voluntarily and died, he died for all us bad kids. And he paid the price for our guilt. And then he rose from the dead. And so now if I have faith in him, he can take that experience on the cross, the blood he shed, and wash me clean. All my sins are gone away. And then, by his resurrection, he can give me new life. He puts a a good spirit in me to take up from my bad one. He puts the Holy Spirit. I'm, as the Bible says, born again. And then I become a son of God. So, that's the process. So here we are having the mechanics of if someone gets saved, right? Just as I am, well, that won't play, whatever. And then they walk down the aisle and they say, I want to receive Jesus. And then they get saved. You don't know the mechanics behind the scene, but these are the mechanics. They were under law. Now they're under grace because Jesus has forgiven them. So, are you with me? I'm going to repeat myself a little bit just to make sure we get this in case you didn't get that. The righteousness... God requires of man is displayed in the law. Right? These are, God makes mankind and says, here's how you're going to behave if you're going to be good. Boom, Ten Commandments. But instead of saving us, as God knows it will not because we are sinners, what does it show us? That we're guilty. That we're guilty. The Ten Commandments is just a testimony to your guilt. Every one of you here are just there with me. You have all broken the Ten Commandments. They do not give you a path to heaven. They give you a path to punishment because they prove that you are a lawbreaker, not under man's law necessarily, but under the laws of God himself. Every one of you has lied, stolen, dishonored your parents. You've all done it. You've all coveted. You've all committed adultery, if not with your body, then with your mind, as Jesus would say. So, it is the standard of God, but you're mistaken if you think it's the path to righteousness. Do you see? Are you catching this? Are you with me? Think that through. The law is the standard that God wants you to live up to if you're going to be a good boy or a good girl. But it is not the path you're going to take because you cannot take it. If you break one law, one time, you're toast. You are beneath the holiness of God and worthy of punishment. And you will break those laws because you're born with sin. And as soon as you're old enough to know right and wrong, you will realize right is to obey this woman who's telling me to eat these peas. And you'll go, no! Because you're a little sinner is what you are. Cute. God makes babies cute so you won't kill them. <laughs> I want you to love them. So this is frustrating to think about 
in one sense, the path of righteousness is clear, but it's not attainable. It's clear, but it's not attainable. What are you going to do to get that million dollars? Well, I put it at the very height of that tree. All you got to do is jump up to the top of that tree. You're like, well, that's clear, but I can't do it. Well, I guess you don't get the million. <laughs> Galatians 3.22. This won't come up on a slide, but if you could put it in your notes. I'm going to read it to you if you just want to listen. The scripture has shut up everyone under sin. The very first words written by God, the Ten Commandments that we are certain of, shut up. Like closed up everyone under sin. They prove that every one of us is a sinner. Therefore is condemned. Why? So that by the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So that when if anyone gets saved, they're not going to get saved and say, because I was a better boy than all the others. No, they're going to say, I was guilty. But Jesus Christ died for sinners and isn't he awesome? So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. At the right time, God sent Jesus to save mankind. You might have wished he came earlier. You might have wished he came later. He came at the right time. For the Bible says, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 6. God knows exactly what he's doing. So he sends the Ten Commandments in about 2000 B.C., And he sends Jesus at about zero B.C., (laughs) somewhere around there. So what, as a reminder to everyone sitting in here, whether you're new to church or old to church, church isn't going to save you, but here's what will, knowing this. Any sinner who runs to Jesus is forgiven from all law-breaking. The reason you convert or surrender to Christ is he can save your soul and give you a new one, his life. Any sinner in this room or any room that hears me, if they will run to Jesus and believe on him, trust in him, and that alone. So you could be a sinner sitting next to another sinner thinking, well, I may be bad, but I'm not as bad as this person. Well, if you sit in your chair, but that other person runs with her life to Christ, guess what? You're still a sinner, but she's just gotten saved. You say, that's not fair. She didn't behave. No, it wasn't fair that Jesus went to a cross, but she believed in him and you didn't. So it also means if you're here and you will not run to Jesus, you will not be saved. Any sinner who depends on his own goodness or his own ability will be punished by God because you will not meet his holiness. The standard of God is much too high. (laughs) Much too high. You're not going to make it. And you won't be able to say, well, you owe it to me because you made me. No, no. No, no, you can't tell the maker what to do, and you can't reach his holiness. Therefore, wisdom says we should run to Jesus, right? Hopefully that's why you're here. But after a person runs to Jesus, what is the fundamental change in his or her life? Well, the Bible says, John 3, 3, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven, right? It says, to as many as believed him, John 1, 20, (laughs) my brain just went off. To as many as believed him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. It's in the first chapter of John somewhere. (laughs) You become a child of God. You become born again. So how does that change? That's when Jesus comes into your life and says, Okay, law, you do not have to imprison this person anymore. I don't need you, law, to care for him. He's now mine, and now he's a good boy or a good girl. So you move from law to grace. 
your relationship to the law changes. Romans 6.14, for sin will have no dominion over you. Sin is no longer your ruler. It's no longer your guardian. Why? Because you're not under law. You're under grace. Grace is the free gift of Jesus. Are you with me? Isn't, theology can be fun, can't it? Ready? But what does that mean? It means you're not made righteous because of the law. The law has no power to make you righteous. The Ten Commandments cannot make you righteous. It can only tell you what you already are. Righteous or unrighteous. The, the Ten Commandments looks at Jesus and goes, righteous. Ten Commandments looks at you and me and goes, uh-uh. But it has no power to make you righteous. But as it says in Romans 8, what the law could not do, weak as it was, because of the flesh, God did. God can make you righteous. That's the, that's the gospel. That's the good news. You won't be punished for your law breaking, and you will be made anew if you run to Christ. Now, at this point, if you're paying attention, or if I'm speaking clearly, you could have this argument and say to me, have you not just made Andy Stanley's case for him? Does this not feed into his argument that the Ten Commandments no longer apply to us? Well, you'd think so (laughs) if you believe the law had only one use. Stanley's first error is not realizing that the saved people use the law differently. Like the laws of our nation, they're used differently for the innocent and the guilty. If you park in the right parking place, the law of our nation says, okay. We use it the way to say, he did right. But if you park in the wrong parking place, you get a ticket. So even in the laws of man, which are inferior to the laws of God, even they are used differently for the guilty than they are for the saved or for the innocent. Don't push that too far. It'll break down because it's not a spiritual notion, but... Listen to Paul. Let's let Paul explain this to us a little bit. Verse 15 of Romans 6. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? You see, he sees that somebody's going to find a little crack in his argument. You, you, you were a bad boy and law was your guardian. And Jesus took you and said, don't need you law. Now you're under grace. All his sins are forgiven. Someone's going to say, well, if all my sins are forgiven... All the things that law wouldn't let me do, I can do now. I'm going to steal, I'm going to covet, I'm going to commit adultery, because Jesus is going to forgive me. What does Paul say? By no means. (laughs) Do you not know if you present anyone to yourselves as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads, leads to righteousness? What he's saying is, you used to obey your own sin nature. That's why your guardian said you were a bad boy. You weren't obeying the law. You're obeying your own desire to sin. When you move to Jesus, Jesus is over you. His spirit is in you. And now who do you obey? Your old nature? No. You obey Jesus. What does Jesus say when you're tempted to covet? Thou shalt not do that. And you go, okay. So you're still, you're still, you're using the Ten Commandments. You're just using them as the light and shining path. For the righteous. Do you see what I'm saying? Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay, well let me keep going. 
trying to be repetitive. Thanks be to God, verse 17, that you who were once slaves of sin, you were a slave of sin because you could not not sin. You were a guardian of the law, imprisoned, because you could not not sin. You were a slave. But now you've become obedient from the heart to what? The standard of teaching to which you were committed. What is that standard? Is it not the righteous law of God? (laughs) And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves to righteousness. I got to do what's right. I got to do what's right. Now, perhaps Stanley thinks care bearers will tell you what's right, you know. Well, love is all you need to guide you. I have a care bear. Oh, love will tell me what's right. But it really helps to have it spelled out a little better than care bearers. So let's go with Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And if I do that, I'm fulfilling the law of love. In other words, we're supposed to obey something when you're saved. It's not like you're not under the law so you don't have to obey. You're under Christ. And he says over and over, I just read it to you, you have to obey the righteousness of God. What are you obeying? We are obeying God's righteous ways. Where do you learn God's righteous ways? Psalm 119, how shall a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Should we throw out the Ten Commandments? I say no. The second and final fill-in in our map. We study the Ten Commandments so that we will see the wisdom of God. So that we will understand the path of love. Now, if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, that's in every church, it always happens, you're here. I know you're here, a couple of you. You need, you're not here yet. You need to run to Jesus because you're under the punishment of God. I'm not. And you can say, because be- I'm better than you. Oh, no, I'm not saying I'm better than you. In fact, you're probably a better citizen than me. You've, pro- you've definitely mouthed off less than I have. I know it. Very few people can beat me in mouthing off. I've tried to stop. I still try to stop. So you may be better than me in a hundred ways. Every grandma likes you better. But I've run to Christ and been forgiven for mouthing off. You remain guilty. You let the law teach you, I need a savior. But let's go back to the Christian. When we study the commandments, we do it so that we will see the wisdom of God. We will understand the path of love. We obey the Ten Commandments, not in order to be made righteous by obedience to them, But because we have been made righteous by faith, we live out the Ten Commandments with a new motive. What's our motive? Love. Love. This is not impossible to understand. You can obey out of fear or you can obey out of love. If you're under the law, you obey out of fear of punishment. If you're under Christ, you obey out of love. Think about your dad. You can have an awful dad or, or you just could be an awful kid and you can obey your father out of fear of punishment and have no other reason. But hopefully there comes a time in your soul when you want to do what makes your dad happy and then you obey him out of love. And you know there's a difference, right? It's the same. You used to obey so you wouldn't get punished. It wasn't going to work. Now the motive for obeying the ten is because they're awesome. Go love someone like this. 
Go love someone like this. Very practical application. People often say, well, I wasn't happy in my marriage. I really made a mistake. Looking back, I think God didn't want me to marry him. Um, and so I know God wants me to be happy, so he wants me to, and I found this other guy to love, and I know God wants me to leave my husband and go to this person. That's Care Bear love. Maybe Care Bear love will tell you that. But you know what the Ten Commandments says? It says, no, 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 honey. That's not love. That's hate for your family. That's hate for your God. It's hate for the person you're running to. Don't do that. And if that person will ignore that temptation, listen to the word of God, they are loving. If the Ten Commandments might happen to apply. The freedom we have from sin is the freedom to obey. Romans 6. I'm I'm not, I'm going to different texts, I'm trying to say the same thing. Letting Paul teach us. We know that our old self was crucified with Jesus. That's so awesome. I was praying before I got up here. I was thinking about some some temptations that plague me. I'm not going to mention what they are. Um, They're not sex. Whenever a man says he's plagued, people are, oh, it's lust. Of course, every man deals with lust. Many women do too, but it's not it. But it's a a personal one. And And I just said to God, I know I want that sin, but I know that's my old nature. Everyone's singing, and I'm praying this. And I just said, thank you, God. Holy Spirit, teach me how to interact in that same situation with love. Because my old self was crucified with Christ. The one who wants to sin is dead. And the reason I was crucified with Christ was in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so I would no longer be a slave to sin. I am not supposed to be a slave to sin because Christ saved me. Verse 11, so you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. I have to use my mind and say in my mind, just like I did in that prayer, I know I desire to sin in this way, but that's my old nature and that's dead. I don't even want to talk to it. God, I'm alive to you. Show me your emotion in this exact situation. Verse 14, for sin will not rule over you since you're not under law, but under grace. So, I'm finishing this up. The Ten Commandments still apply to us today, but they show us how to love. If in an unbeliever, they're used as a guardian, lead him, that person to their own guilt, and then to the Savior. You can see, it's good to see your need for a Savior. The AA people took this from a Christian idea. Their first step is realizing, I'm an alcoholic, I need some help. And if you won't get to that point, you're not going to be helped. Well, they stole that directly from the scriptures. You can't be saved unless you agree you're lost. You can't be forgiven until you know you're guilty. And that's what the law will do for you. If you don't feel guilty enough, you start reading the Ten Commandments over and over, you'll start to feel guilty. To the believer, they define the righteous path. Okay, second error that that Pastor Stanley makes is that he commingles the Ten Commandments with the ceremonial laws of the Jews. He takes a principle that's true of other laws in the Old Testament and applies it to the Ten Commandments. He says, I'm going to quote him here, and again, this is not about Andy Stanley. He's just giving me a great board to leap off of into an important conversation that the church countrywide is having right now, and so we're going to have it right here at Harvest. For example, he says, and this is what uh, he says, thanks to the new covenant, we are not required to sacrifice animals to stay on speaking terms with God. Because the Jews had to do that. Skim through Leviticus. You'll discover 
there's a whole lot of things we aren't required to do. For example, I'm sure he's saying the way we dress, you know, how much work we do on the Sabbath, <laughs> um, whether or not we eat crayfish, you know. I would say he is correct. We do not have to, he's right. We do not have to obey the law that says sacrifice animals anymore. But we are still required to honor our parents, aren't we? How do you distinguish one law from another law? We are supposed to avoid adultery, serve no other gods, aren't we? So do we throw it all out? Andy's error is that he is treating all laws of the Old Testament as if they fall into the same category. They do not. Anyone who has studied the Old Testament, anyone who studied under good teachers who teach the Old Testament, and this should include Andy, would know that there are ceremonial laws, or let's call them religious laws, laws that govern the behavior of the priests of Israel. You know, wash your hands this way, do this in the worship center, do this with the dead carcass of the animal after it's killed, burn this part. You know, if you touch a dead man, cleanse yourself in this way. Ceremonial religious laws. Just like when I was raised a Catholic, and you know they had some laws going on because that dude came out, he had different clothing on, and he knew exactly how to open the book and when to kiss it and how to put the oil in. And that's, that's ceremonial law. Those aren't laws that apply to anyone but the priesthood of the moment. If you're a Catholic, you've got to follow those. If you're, a, if you're a Jewish priest, before the temple was torn down and before Christ, you have to follow those. They're ceremonial laws, and if you read the Old Testament, you can tell the difference between them and the Ten Commandments, unless you're adult. Then there are civil laws, laws that govern one nation during one time, the laws that govern Israel. In other words, laws about property, ordinances. What do I do if my neighbor comes over and steals my ox? Because <laughs> remember, the, when he brought the law down, he brought more than the Ten Commandments. He was bringing the ceremonial law so the priest knew how to behave. And he was bringing the, the penal code, if you will, of a brand new nation. They were going to move into the promised land and they weren't going to have to invent their law. They wouldn't have to come up with a constitution and, and, a, and, a, and a bill of rights. God gave them the law and included stuff down to as minute as what do you do if your ox gores the neighbor's ox? Clearly, that governs one nation at one time. And then thirdly, there are moral laws that reflect personal conduct. And it's not just the Big Ten here. There are many where he says, do this, don't do what the Gentiles do because it's disgusting and an abomination to me. That's how you know it's a moral law. Don't, don't let a man lie with a man. That's what the Gentiles do. I don't like it. He never hear him yelling at the Gentiles for eating lobster. There is a benefit for being a Gentile back in the old days. Lobster or bacon. Jesus, let's go to the New Testament, did not set aside the ceremonial laws. He fulfilled them. He did not set aside the civil laws. He said they're obsolete. Stanley speaks as if he doesn't know this. I think he is effectively, whether he means to or not, exploiting the ignorance of Christians. Let me give you an example of Jesus and the religious law. There's a religious woman 
Uh, we don't know her name. She's in John chapter 4, and she asked Jesus a religious question. <laughs> our, our Samaritans, we worship here the way we think God wants us to. You and your priesthood do it down in Jerusalem the way... So she asked him really a ceremonial law question. And look what Jesus answered. Well, let me... Here's the whole conversation in short. John four nineteen. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers, she's of a different religion, she's a Samaritan, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. He's saying at this moment, this moment, you people are wrong. (laughs) Jesus does not have a coexist bumper on his chariot, right? Bumper sticker. He's like, you're wrong. The Jews are right. He says, but another moment is coming, and he's referring to after the cross. Look what he says. But the hour is coming, and it's now here, in fact, because he's standing talking to her. That's what he means. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. What He is saying is the day is coming when you're not going to have to go to a temple and, and offer up smoke to God and say, please don't kill us for our sins because God doesn't inhabit temples. That's just a picture for you. But instead, the Holy Spirit of God is going to come and inhabit everyone who loves Him. Why would you need something as inferior as these laws of priests and temples then? They're just a shadow of the reality of what it means to walk around with the Holy Spirit in you. You're going to worship Him in your spirit. So therefore, everywhere is just as holy as another place. If you go to the Holy Land, as we call it, you should and you should learn. But don't think it's any holier than your backyard. It isn't. Holiness goes wherever you go. Therefore, he's saying... She's saying, this mountain or that mountain? He's saying, wherever you go, that's where you worship. What about the civil laws? Israel is no longer to be seen as the kingdom of God on earth. Not not political Israel. It's just not. Even Israel today, I respect the Jews, love the Jews, but I don't want them to build a temple and start up their priesthood. I don't want them to enforce ceremony or civil laws there. That kingdom will not be until Jesus comes woman was taken in adultery and they said law says we stone her jesus says no you're not going to stone her why well they're not even running their own nation the romans they're under roman rule their kingdom's over (laughs) it's done jews don't have the kingdom again until jesus returns and sets up the new israel he he should we they, they challenged him should we pay taxes should we pay taxes because they knew that the Pharisees were saying, you're, you're disobeying the kingdom of Israel and if you subject yourself to Rome. What did Jesus say? Well, it's Caesar's money. Give it to him. He, he pretty much said, you, you, the, the laws that governed you are no longer, you don't govern yourselves anymore. The Romans govern you. You obey their laws. People say, should we stone someone if they, if they talk back too much? Like it says in the law. And people say, see, your law is stupid. No, you're stupid because you're not paying attention to the law. (laughs) What it's saying is Israel, the ancient nation, when they ran themselves, should stone someone in that situation. Now the Romans run you. And now, forget what Israel is now. It's nothing like biblical Israel. It's a very secular, strange place. 
What about the moral laws? Jesus definitely ushers in big change in the ceremonial law, pretty much erases it, erases the need for the civil law. What about the moral law? Does he set that aside, as Andy Stanley implies? No, in fact, he doubles down. Andy Stanley, interestingly, said, why do we fight to have the Ten Commandments on lawns? We should fight to have Sermon on the Mount on lawns. And I sit there, and uh, I love to debate, but you have to do it with, with, in, in the right time, and this is for the Word of God, and so I need to tell you the truth, so I love having the opportunity to tell you this. <laughs> he just threw me a slow-hanging curveball that I'm going to hit out of the park. It's just too easy. Why not put the Sermon on the Mount? Andy, have you read the Sermon on the Mount? You're probably thinking about something like turn the other cheek, but have you ever read Matthew chapter 5? Where Jesus said, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. When is that? Has it happened yet? No. That was easy. Some of you are like, oh no, you're here. (laughs) It hasn't happened. You'll know. You'll know. Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, and I think context will show you that this is the Ten Commandments, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21, you have heard it was said of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Jesus just quoted the Ten Commandments, which Andy Stanley says shouldn't be out there anymore. He wants the the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, this is the Sermon on the Mount. So let's let's go out on the courthouse law and do what Andy Stanley says and put this. Everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. That's a little tougher, Andy. I've never murdered anyone. Some of you may have, and God forgives that, by the way. But most of us never actually murder a human. Oh, but I've murdered him if, if all you've got to do is be angry in your heart and want them to die. One bad thing. I'm there. Who's there with me? Don't you lie. Whoever insults his brother is liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to hellfire. Do you not see what's happening here? In the scripture. And this is why you got to take all teachers, including this one, and test what they say against the scripture. Not only did Jesus affirm one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder, he made it harder to obey. I can obey the one, generally. If I stay out of weird situations, I I think I can pull off not whacking folks. But not being angry at them and wanting bad things for them. Got me, Lord. Stanley is correct. And he cites Jesus' command to love one another as I have loved you as an all-encompassing command. He overlooks the reality that both Jesus and Paul go to great trouble to define what that love looks like. And it does not toss out the moral law of God. Stanley foolishly confuses people by carelessly dismissing the Ten Commandments. We will not follow his lead. For my money, how about J.I. Packer? Can I quote him? 
He says this, and this is a quote. We too were wonderfully made, complex physically and even more so psychologically and spiritually. For us, there's a maker's handbook, namely God's summary of the way to live that we find in the Ten Commandments, says J.I. Packer. Whether as persons we grow and blossom or shrink and wither, whether in character we become more like God or more like the devil, depends directly on whether we seek to live by what is in the, the commandments or not. The rest of the Bible could be called God's repair manual since it spells out the gospel of grace that restores sin-damaged human nature. But it is the commandments that crystallize the basic behavior pattern that brings satisfaction and contentment. It is precisely for this way of living that God's grace rescues and refits us. Throughout this study, we have 10, God willing, if he gives us 10 more weeks before that great end of heaven and earth. I hope you catch this overarching view that we do agree on Stanley. And by the way, I'm not tearing him down as a false teacher. People throw that around too much. He's a false teacher. I'm saying the teaching of the Ten Commandments is false. So it doesn't make him a false teacher. Maybe, but it doesn't mean he's not saved. He's not a cult member. He's in error. It's better if you're in error to have a church of 100 people than to be famous. <laughs> Just, <laughs> right? Aren't you glad you said all those really stupid things in front of your own family instead of at work? <laughs> but where I agree with him is love is the encompassing thing. And there's a reason for that. The entire practice of the Christian life comes down to how you treat other people. That's the amazing observation that Paul made about love. The, the commandments are how you treat God and how you treat others, and that's it. God is more concerned with how you treat every human you run into, whether you like them or not, whether they're pleasant or not, whether you judge them as less than you or not. They are made in his image. And when he says to all mankind, here's how I want you to behave, what he's saying is, is not talking about your quiet time, what you do alone. Oh, that's personal piety. How you don't play cards or chew or go with girls that do. (laughs) He's saying, how do you treat humans? We have a beautiful religion. These are good laws. These are good laws. These are good. If I behave like they say, you'll, you'll want to be around me more often. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know how personality works in. You might say, well, thanks, Mike. I, I like you, but from a distance. That's okay. I get that. But it, Christianity and its application is all about how you treat people. That's, that's what it's about. I'd like you to do two things. First, read Exodus 20 before you come back. Um, your, your, your map this week ha- says list out the ten. You might just list out that we don't have any community groups this week. List out the ten commandments yourself. Do you, can you mem- remember them? Write them down. Think about them. Pray about them. Put them in your head. Hide this word in your heart that you would not sin against God. Start to get to know them. Make this a group event <laughs> where we are all 
walking in, in, together in step in learning these. Get your head around them. Exodus 20. Contemplate them. Think about them a while. There's a lot more commentary in that chapter than you might think. Second, if you don't know Christ, today is the day for you to run to Jesus. You might say, well, how do I do that, Pastor? Well, not religiously. You do it by faith. And faith is believing. And that means you're, Jesus is, sees your brain. So you talk to him in your brain <laughs> and say, Jesus, okay, I get this. Pastor made it clear. The law is not going to save me. I thought I was good. Now I realize I'm not good. Not by your standard, at least. I don't want to be punished. I don't want to be imprisoned because of my guilt. I want to be forgiven everything because of what you did on a cross. Because you substituted yourself for me. So Jesus, I run to you. I turn around away from where I was going. I run to you. And I give you my everything. Please save my soul. It really is that simple. It really is that simple. If you feel a desire to do that, I think you should do that with all your life. Because the Holy Spirit of God will literally do a, do a work in you right then. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.